Welcome to Climify, the podcast that connects climate scientists and design educators together so that we can help combat our climate crisis in our classrooms. The discussions on this program are geared to help you climify your syllabi to assign projects that not only teach design fundamentals, but also can have a positive impact on our climate. This episode is brought to you by Renourish. Renourish is your one-stop online resource for sustainable design and systems thinking strategies and tools for the graphic designer. You can learn more about Renourish on their website at re-nourish.org, or you can follow them on Twitter and Facebook at Renourish. Welcome to Climify. I'm Eric Benson, and I'll be your host this season as we talk to climate experts from all over the world to help us design educators fight the climate crisis in our classrooms. And yes, I'm also a design educator. I've been teaching for 15 years here at the University of Illinois. But even if you're not a design educator listening to this show, there's so much useful information jam-packed in each that you too can learn how to do your part to help reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. This week on Climify, we're joined by Sahara James. Sahara was born and raised in Queens, New York. She received her associate's degree in liberal arts after she went on to complete her bachelor's in environmental studies at SUNY Hunter College in 2018. She's now a part-time candidate at the Bard MBA in sustainability, where she has taken on many student leadership roles. In her most previous role, she was an assistant project manager conducting industrial hazard assessments for lead and paint and water in New York City buildings. Sahara is currently a senior sustainability consultant at Kinetic Communities Consulting, where she currently oversees the Electrify Staten Island pilot. In her free time, Sarah enjoys traveling, cooking, biking, and yoga. All right, Sahara, uh, welcome to Climify. Uh, it's wonderful to meet you, and I'm really excited that you uh, volunteered to take about 40 minutes today to, to talk with uh, me and, and our listeners uh, about what you do and give us some advice to uh, bring into our classrooms. So I want to get down to sort of the basics of who you are and uh, find out uh, more about where you live, what you do, where you came from, and what excites you about the work that you do. Yeah, thank you for having me, Eric. I'm really excited to be speaking with you today and add whatever I can to this already fruitful conversation that you started around design. Thank you. Um, So as you mentioned, my name is Sahara James, she, her pronouns. I was born and raised in Queens, New York. Um, I live in Brooklyn, New York right now, but I'm probably moving back to Queens in like two (laughs) weeks. (laughs) Um, And so very much a New York City person, um, all public New York City schools all my life. I um, got an associate's degree from Bard High School, early college uh, in 2013. Um, After that, I did my undergrad at Hunter College Mm -hmm. in environmental studies. Uh, I was there until 2018, and I am right now a part-time student at the Bard MBA in sustainability. So did a bit of a roundabout with uh, the Bard College. Um, so 
that's a little bit of my educational history. Um, in terms of more professional experience, I started uh, doing internships throughout um, undergrad uh, that had anything to do with the natural environment and um, getting my hands in dirt because that's mm -hmm. what I just I really like that. And um, my uh, most previous position, I was an environmental scientist at an environmental engineering consulting firm. Um, I was on top of project management and I also did environmental hazard testing. Um, so testing for lead paint, mostly in um, apartments and schools throughout New York City. Uh, right now, I am a senior sustainability consultant with Kinetic Communities Consulting. Uh, we call us or call ourselves KC3 for short. Um, it is New York's uh, MWBE certified social enterprise social enterprise benefit corporation. I always have to say that slowly. I know. Really long name. <laughs> Very long name. Long description. We do great work. Um, uh, we basically we advocate for and implement uh, strategic. Uh, energy equity market transformations uh, for diverse New York City communities. So um, basically making sure that everyone is included in the energy equity um, transition. Um, so we are, uh, the entire team, the entire team is located in New York City and so is our office, but we do work mostly remotely. Um, my main role right now is that I am the campaign director for a pilot called Electrify Staten Island. Uh, this pilot is working towards the goal of increasing the adoption of um, clean heating and cooling technologies for residents in Staten Island. Um, so this includes things like um, installing air source heat pumps or a more efficient boiler or um, sealing uh, doors and windows um, around your house to improve the energy efficiency. So we're really focused on uh, redu uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions in terms of the residential sector. Um, and then this uh, pilot is also complemented by Electrify Queens, which more focuses on solar um, in the borough of Queens. So um, that is where I came from. That is where I am now. And um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty early in my career. I'm in my mid twenties. So this, uh, this explanation will get much longer within the next 10 and 20 so. and 30 years. So. Yeah. So you're, I would, you know, so your day job is working there at that position. And then you're also getting an MBA maybe by night, you know, um, <laughs> crusader at night. Um, what, what, do you, what do you plan on doing with, um, the MBA and, and, and it's in sustainability, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, I so yes, this is my actually my last year of my MBA. So can't wait. Congratulations. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. And um, I would actually say that where I am right now in my professional career, I'm really, really satisfied with I really um, have a lot of appreciation um, and dedication to the work that I do now with KC3. Um, so I do see myself here for um, the kind of short foreseeable future. Um, in terms of where I see myself after, um, I will say, and maybe this is a little different from like the average career professional, but I don't put too much pressure on what I want to do in the next five years because I'm very sure okay. that the way uh, society and my brain and my interests will move, like I will just land somewhere else that is still relevant to what I care about. Mm -hmm. I... Um, I'm just generally interested in whatever we can do to get people and nature to have a more harmonious relationship. And it's funny because like, when you think of my job title, you don't even glean all that, but <laughs> yeah. that's really what it stems down to. Like I want, I want people to be around for a while, but I want our nature to be intact and be beautiful and, and something we can appreciate and enjoy for a while. And I will 
um, because I'm a, a city girl and I've just been here my whole life, I'm going mm -hmm. to do it within New York City and I'm going to do it in a way that's relevant to New York City. 70% um, of greenhouse gas emissions in New York are from buildings. Um, and then through my job. Yes, a, exactly. A very high number. Um, and it does make sense. Um, you could also see how transportation is probably a really big, uh, big part of that number. But um, just considering the fact that, um, you know, with my last position, that kind of got me into like buildings and building infrastructure, along with my dad having been a construction worker and electrician throughout his life. So I liked helping him with handsy stuff. So it's just kind of like a natural coming together that is worked right. out so well. And that's why I say I really like my position now, because I feel yeah. like it's includes everything that I care about. Um, but I just see myself moving in a direction as long as I'm doing work that has to do with making sure that everyone has the same access to resources um, while also um, reducing our collective carbon footprint, like that is where I'm at. Yeah, that, that I was gonna say that you have, you have a very similar mindset that I did when I was your age and that I was just sort of going where I ended up, you know, and yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until I got into academia where I started to have to think about, okay, well, next year I need to focus on this, right? Because mm -hmm. they, were, they were more demanding of, you know, your output. But back in the day, um, it was, I'm going to end up where I end up and it's going to be good because I'm interested in it, right? I'm not going to yep. be, you know, doing something else. Um, yep. Yeah. Maybe I'll grow out of it. Maybe I won't. I don't know. I think, I think it's a good uh, life to sort of, you know, end up where you end up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just confident that it'll be good and impactful. So oh, I'm sure too. I'm sure too. I was going to ask you though, with that 70% is a high number, right? And I was going to say with the work you do at KC3, um, do you, do you, does your team know, like all those, you know, seemingly small things like ceiling windows and doors and all that, how much can you save? Like how much greenhouse gas emissions can be saved? Do you, do you have a number with that? That is a number that I'm not sure that anyone has really come up with yet. And <laughs> I guess, I guess the question you're asking is like how much, how, if we did everything according to plan, how much can we reduce it by? I am sure that there's maybe someone who's come up with that number, but even then it's extremely, mm. um, uh, hypothetical, um, yeah. hypothetical because um, the work that has to be done is um, not free, of course, right? You have to pay for um, the materials and for the construction themselves, the contractors that are going to do the work and um, who is paying for it. Is it people that have the money for it? Is it large building owners, um, property owners? Um, and even then, um, how much are the, how much of these buildings um, have existing existing infrastructure that allows for some of these retrofits to be as efficient as possible. There are a lot of variables that go into it, I guess is what I'm uh, trying to say. Right. Um, and I would say uh, for this project that I work on, Electrify Staten Island, we are um, directly addressing the fact that right now there isn't legislation that addresses the one to four family housing sector in terms of um, reducing greenhouse gas emissions on any time scale. And so that's why we've kind of taken this route wow. to kind of prove, yeah, yeah, which is very interesting. It's mid-size and larger buildings have uh, legislation coming through through the, um, the Climate good. Mobilization Act. But right now there isn't anything for smaller residential buildings. So we just, through this project, we're trying to prove that like, hey, there needs to be legislation about how much greenhouse gas, uh, greenhouse gas emission reduction we're looking for, looking for from small buildings within the next few years because there's an impact there too, we can't mm -hmm. ignore it. 
Um, so where we're doing a lot of um, uh, weed whacking here. Yeah, well, I think um, that's that needs to be done. As as a homeowner myself, right? I, I learned a lot about insulation in your attic, right? And yes, so we had some some folks come in and and uh, and kind of seal off areas in our house, and they told us like you're going to save X amount of money. They didn't talk about greenhouse gases, but they talked about you're going to save X amount of money. Yeah. yeah, but that's but that's um, one of the interesting parts of it is that um, to be honest, a lot of people don't really care about how much energy they're gonna save in their apartment of their home. A lot of people do, of course. Sure, but yeah. If you really want the selling point, it really comes down to how much money can we save? Can you save um, after installing this? Um, what is the upfront cost going to look like? Can we provide you with any financial help when it comes to those upfront costs? Because that's where that's where um, the the inequity comes in, right? Like, if you know a heat pump may cost a few thousand dollars, and then the uh, the installation is another few thousand dollars. Um, but if you, as a homeowner or uh, or a renter, do not have that those upfront costs, you can be as you know eco conscious as you want to be. If you don't have the money, you don't have the money. So that's right. why we try to address that barrier too. That's smart. Um, but we yes, and it's and it's very hard. Um, Right now, what we're doing is kind of um, pulling on programs that already offer uh, money for people to have free energy audits or to free opportunity to actually get the work done itself. Yeah. And a lot of it is based on income um, eligibility. Um, but we, I would say that the money is one of the primary concerns when it comes to um, yeah. you as a homeowner. And that's why we can't, you know, just as a collective, when we talk about sustainability, you know, the selling point a lot of the time isn't how much greenhouse gas emissions you're going to save or how much waste you're going to be not putting in a landfill. It's how does this actually impact my life today? And that's not to say we shouldn't consider those things, but let's be honest and kind of like leave that to the professionals because individuals are thinking about their day to day for the most part. Right. Um, and 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 that is that is fine for now. We need to like kind of work within those terms, if that makes sense. Yeah. So would your advice be anyone that's listening to this, you're a homeowner, um, I know we contacted our energy company and they said, Hey, do this audit. And they told us it's going to cost you X dollars, but you're going to save even more. Mm -hmm. So that'd be good. Yeah. I, I like to speak to, um, uh, the accessibility of it, right. The, um, the autonomy, if you are in a position where you can pay that upfront cost and mm -hmm. you are willing to see that get paid off over time, see what your ROI is then by all means, do it. <laughs> if right. you can do it, do it. <laughs> I'm not telling people who have the capacity to make these decisions to not make them. Um, I'm saying that we as um, consultants and program implement um, implementers and people who make legislation, we have to consider the people who cannot make those decisions um, to make them as accessible as possible. Um, but to individuals who are able to you know, upgrade those, upgrade those LED lights or break down those walls and put a new insulation or get a new heating and cooling system, by all means, do it. It's going to benefit you. It's going to make your home way more comfortable. You are going to save money on your energy bills. And um, it just makes sense. Yeah, well, thank you for that advice. Uh, I want to go back to your comment about your father, because you mentioned he was good handyman and then it kind of picked up some stuff from, from him. Um, I want to ask you about um, why, why you got into this social and environmental justice work and, you, you know, was there, was it something that happened with your family or, or something else that kind of inspired you to, to go down this route? Yeah, you know, sometimes 
I think I'm a little underwhelming because I don't have a huge, gigantic, pivotal story <laughs> that led me. Well, I'm it anyway, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, definitely more, um, more of a gradual thing for me. Um, like I mentioned before, I've always loved nature, watching nature on TV, being in nature, being around animals and plants, being outdoors. Um, and as I got into high school, um, and I started to learn more about global warming and climate change. Naturally, that was just like top of my head. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're, we're destroying the only planet that we are capable of living on right now. Okay, this isn't making sense. What are we going to do about it? Um, and I remember when I first when I first got um, introduced to the topic of uh, climate change, I thought of it as a very a very um, earth problem. Like this is something we have to fix our earth. We need to reduce pollution. We need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions because we need to make the earth better. This is about giving back to the plants and the animals and the, you know, the, the whales and the, the polar bears. Everything. Yeah, everything. And I, I like that because I do have an intrinsic care for these non-human things. However, I do still care about people a lot. Yeah, I love yeah. being around people. I love, I, humanity disappoints me many times, but I love <laughs> humanity generally. Yes. Um, I love humanity. I don't like humanity. That's, I think that's the best way to put it. Good. Um, yeah. I like that. Yes. I'm the same way. <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, in, uh, in learning about climate change, but also in a way kind of separating people from the equation, something about that wasn't resonating with me. Um, if we're going to if we're going to talk about um, sustaining our world, why are we not also including ourselves in that world? I think a lot of the times when we think of nature, we think of humans as separate, which I think is completely false. Humans are a part of nature. Even all yeah. the quote unquote unnatural things we do are natural to us. Um, so I think that 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 was something that was missing for me. So. Um, in my last year of undergrad and like coming right out of undergrad is when I was introduced to the concept of sustainability, which to me just resonated so much more. Okay, how do we get people and the environment and our business, our governments, uh, the things that we do as people to kind of collectively work together to sustain all of it? Um, I like the word that sustainability, the word sustainability is so simple. It is literally to sustain. How do you get something to last as long as possible? How do we get people to last as long as possible? How do we get nature to last as long as possible? How do we get um, the, the infrastructure that we have, whether it's governments, physical infrastructure, organizations, business, schools, hospital, how do we get all of that on the same page? to make have as much longevity as possible so yeah. um that just kind of that just kind of made sense to me um and then I I what I also realized was I had this kind of misconception that sustainability was an industry and once I got into um undergrad and I decided to approach sustainability from a business perspective I'm like sustainability is not an industry it's a lens <laughs> you can go yeah. into any industry with sustainability in mind and do work that you think is important and even then you still have to narrow it down because it's like well Wait, what role do you want within that company? Do you want to be in the C-suite where you make really big decisions and have uh, control over a lot of, you know, the flow of cash flows and things like that? Do you want to work more on a consulting level? Do you want to work within design? Do you want to work uh, within waste? There's so many different angles because sustainability itself and addressing climate change is such a multifaceted issue that there are ways for everyone in every job role and in every industry 
to keep it at the forefront. Um, and so as much as I remember learning, like as much as I like that, it also like stressed me a little bit. I was like, damn, I still got to figure out what I'm going to do within this box, within this box. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Yes, yes. And that's when that's when I kind of made the connection between uh, the previous job I had where I was working within buildings and then where I am now. I'm like, oh, buildings. Buildings are a huge opportunity for, you know, reducing greenhouse gas emissions and improving operations. And again, New York City, 70% of greenhouse gas emissions, huge area for impact. I see myself in New York City for the foreseeable future. Might as well. It all just kind of, the, yeah. the puzzle pieces just all just kind of fell into place. And I was like, I'm going to let that do that. <laughs> Well, I like your viewpoint on the lens of sustainability. And I think as educators who are listening to this might have had, like I do, questions from my students saying, you know, we want to make an impact out there in the world. Um, I can't find a job that says sustainable designer. Um, what do I do? And that advice is great. It's like just brings that lens of sustainability to any job that you're doing. Mm -hmm at any mm -hmm. time, right? Just learn more about it so that when you're there, you can, you can implement the change while you're working. That is absolutely true. I've actually had um, uh, some faculty and advisors at, the, at my program say very, sing a very similar tune. Um, and I would even say, and I was also gonna talk a little bit more about this later, that part of the reason why sustainability in general, in, in terms of the business world is still so um, kind of like, added on as a last, as an afterthought, as opposed to baked into the original, you know, concept, which obviously at this point is not going to happen. Sustainability, you know, has kind of been on our radar since maybe the eighties soonest, you yeah. know, um, it's really within the past 10, 20 years that you've seen it really explode a lot more. So, you know, just the way that that's gone, of course, now it's a bit of an afterthought for many companies, many organizations. However, um, there's still, there are still areas for us to consider it first and not only consider it but I would love for sustainability to get to a point where we don't even talk about sustainability mm -hmm. anymore because it's just naturally baked into foundational everything. right exact it's foundational yeah. you know yeah. we don't we don't have to have a role that says sustainability consultant you're just a consultant right. and sustainability is just always right. on your radar you have to do the it. Same, you have exactly to. the same way you know saving money is always on your radar saving time <laughs> is always on your radar right. how can you also just naturally reduce your greenhouse gas emissions or put off the um, uh, end of life phase of your products. Um, so I, I would like to think of it that way. And I know that my title being senior sustainability consultant is a little anti yeah, there you that, go. but that's okay, baby there. steps. <laughs> uh, I like that because uh, I remember when I first started teaching, there was no, and I was at that time I was thinking, okay, there has to be a class called sustainable design where you know I wasn't thinking about it as I do now, which is like, I'm going to bring, like you do, I'm going to bring that lens in. Mm -hmm. So I, I had an elective class, sustainable design, and it was at the same time as a class on like animation. And so all, all the design students signed up for the animation <laughs> class, right? Right, right. So, you know, like, when you think about it, there really is no comparison. Like what's, what's really a more important, you know, class for, for our society here, you know, animation? Yeah, of course, it's fun. But mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like we gotta we gotta do something about our climate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and like not for nothing, but I mean, everything, every single thing that is in a landfill right now was originally on a piece of paper from like a product designer, right? Like right. every single one, right. every the every the little thing from small to large, all the trash that exists now was designed at some point. So 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful trash. You know, um, I think it's, I think the statistic was that 80% of the eventual environmental impact of anything that you're going to make happens in that design phase. You know, you making the wrong decisions will have a huge uh, negative outcome later on. So you're right. I mean, designers uh, need to do something, <laughs> but you yeah. know, we, we need partners here. We can't just do that on our own. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. No, um, no pressure, but pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes me wonder what, what you think us as design educators can do more of um, to help promote that um, lens of sustainability in, in our, in our classrooms, also in our daily lives. Yeah. Um, I would go back to what you just said previously that you guys need to collaborate. Like there has to be collaboration. Um, it's the, a collection of efforts is needed, right? We need design educators, we need businesses, local governments and consumers to all promote sustainable living at the same time though. That's the only way it's gonna happen. Um, and like we just said, design educators have a special role because how a product is designed dictates how it will be used, how it will be disposed of, um, how long it will be used before it's disposed of. And as an educator, you're leading the next generation of designers. So obviously there's pivotal opportunity there to um, have new, uh, new ideation about design and use. Um, but it's also really important to remember that, back to my last point, you know, if you as a designer, Eric, you can make your products as recyclable and biodegradable or compostable as possible. If when I throw my, you know, your recyclable bottle away, you know, Department of Sanitation comes to pick it up and they drop it in the same landfill, yeah. then it was for nothing, right? If yeah. you're all that, all that wonderful design that you did to make it modular and make the use phase long and make it recyclable, if it doesn't actually get recycled, it defeats the entire purpose. So um, I want design educators to always feel empowered to know that they have so much control um, over, again, like the use and the disposal of that product. Um, however, we cannot take any onus at all off of um, local governments who have like um, kind of like trash municipal infrastructure to be like, okay, are we actually recycling, recycling things that end up in a quote unquote recycle bin? And yeah. if something is compostable, does someone actually take it to somewhere where it's going to get composted? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's such it's such a systems issue and it needs a system solution that's literally the only way it's going to work so yes, designers stay on top of your game keep making things as sustainable as you can make it and at the same time we're going to keep putting pressure on larger organizations to make sure that there's infrastructure to use these products and dispose of these products in sustainable ways well let's take a quick break here for some commercial messages where do young designers see themselves at the intersection of climate change and innovation? And how can we teach that intersection in the classroom? Designers are problem solvers, capable of imagining solutions for a more sustainable future. We have a bigger role to play in all phases of the design process, not just the beginning. My name is Rachel Cifarelli, graphic designer, recent college grad, and part of the Climate Designers EDU team. And after graduating, I realized today's classrooms tend to skip over that universal side of design. So if you're a design educator, I want to hear from your students. Help set in motion the first ever project that centers students at the intersection of design education and climate change. 
I want to know what your students think about sustainable design, how they see climate change impacting their future careers, and what even comes to mind when they hear the term climate design. Send your students to climatedesigners.org slash edu slash new wave survey to take the five question survey or sign up for an interview with me. Help me inform a new wave of design education, one that teaches every designer how to be a climate designer. Yeah, you mentioned systems, and that's something that I'm, I'm working on right now. And I wrote a chapter in my, my book about this idea of everything is connected. The systems are at play. Putting on your like consultant hat for <laughs> you have <laughs> for a while. Uh, put that on, and and uh, what, what? How can design, um, or what are the strengths of what you know about designers? Um, and, and, and what, how can we use those strengths to, um, think more in systems so that we're not just designing the bottle, we're helping fix that system where it does go where it needs to go. It needs to go back into becoming, uh, what Bill McDonough called a technical nutrient back into the system to be reused, you know, um, what, what would you tell us? I would say that, um, again, y'all, as designers, you have a lot of control, obviously, of course, how, over how the product is used. Um, and then there's also onus on larger organizations. Um, in terms of strengths, to me, I mean, that's the strength right there. And then as an educator, you know, again, you are literally bringing in the new generation of people who are learning how to do this. Mm -hmm. um, I will say I've never taken a design class or anything in my life. I have taken a circularity course. Well, um, yeah, so this, perfect. Yeah, yeah. I was like, actually, that's where I'm pulling a lot of my information from. Um, and um, I would say that I would say that even the um, the publicity around making certain products um, more sustainable and talking about how that product should be used in a way so that, you know, it's less emissions or less energy use and then dispose of properly um, and making, making kind of more of a noise, more of a, a stink about the fact, hey, like we are designing products this way, but it goes to waste if that product is still ending up in a, in a landfill because that's where the garbage truck took it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, um, and maybe this gets more into kind of the political side of things. Um, if you are a designer that works for a large designing company, and maybe there are people who also lobby within your company, like that is, that is some pressure right there to say, you know, we need to design products in this way and we'll do it, but you guys have to play your role too. What are you guys doing about creating infrastructure that can actually make it so products are disposed of, recycled, mm -hmm. um, um, composted properly? Um, like kind of like, you know, we're doing our part. When, when are you going to do yours? Yeah, gotcha. One thing that comes to mind too, when you're talking about this, because I heard this recently from a number of educators is that they want to do this. Like what you're describing, they want to do, but they don't feel like 
they have the knowledge yet. It's kind of like educating the educators really on mm. circularity, sustainability, and climate. What what is there like a a book or series of things that you suggest maybe someone who's who wants to do this in their classroom but needs needs some more info to get moving? Is is there something you recommend them to watch or read that that helped you, for instance, with your, you know, progress in your career? Yeah, that's a really great question. So um, my circularity class, um, if I can do a, a quick plug, was my professor, John Holm, really great, really, really um, smart guy, uh, knows so much about like supply chain and circularity. Um, and he's the one I did my circularity class with. And he has um, taught us a lot about the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and the work that they do when it comes to um, uh, creating coalitions around making supply chains more sustainable. Um, and they do a lot of partnerships with large organizations um, to kind of uh, fund new new development um, around new products that can be more sustainable, more better reused, better recycled, compostable, all that. Um, and then also uh, in my quote unquote spare time, I listened to a podcast called uh, Supply Chain Revolution. Um, and I actually learned about this product this uh, podcast through a friend of his who hosts this uh, was um, a guest on this podcast one day. And um, that was another uh, term I haven't brought up yet is um, just like general supply chains, right? Like okay. um, starting from um, extraction of materials to manufacturing, to use phase, to disposal. There are areas all throughout that phase um, to consider like how we can reduce our impact as much as uh, as much as possible. So um, those are just two things, but um, I'll definitely say there's a, like an abundance of resources and organizations out here who have just started to do this work. Um, I even know like um, uh, IKEA has started to done, do a lot of work around making their furniture uh, more modular, being able to like switch out pieces, um, mm -hmm. buying used furniture. Um, so yeah, I would say there's a lot of opportunity to work with organizations that are already huge, who are doing a lot of research into this type of stuff. So don't be afraid to look that. <laughs> I agree with you on that supply chain comment because I asked my, my class, not just once, but many classes, you know, where does paper come from? You know, a lot of the designers we graduate go and work in printing, right? Mm -hmm. They're doing stuff for bit magazines or, you know, editorial work. Where does paper come from? They, you know, trees, they don't know where. And so I had them do uh, an in informational graphic, basically, of the supply chain of paper. You know, where does it start? Not just that it's a tree, but how many trees and what part of the world you know, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And so I think that was super useful for them. So I, I totally agree with you on, on the supply chain part of it. Absolutely. And, and I would say um, one thing that I also learned about supply chains through my courses is um, also just like the scale of the supply chain. So there's all, there's obviously the phases of where do things come from, but how long do those, you know, raw materials have to travel overseas to get here to finish I the second part of manufacturing that product, right? Like that's, that's another thing that's just kind of wild to me. It's um, very interesting how globalization has brought so much good, good things into our society. Like the fact that we can just get from place to place easier and move things from place to place easier, but um, boy, does it have a cost. <laughs> yeah, the the trade-offs, right? Huge trade-offs, huge trade-offs. Well, we've been um, talking a lot about uh, what 
what uh, you think we should do as design educators. And I wanted to kind of turn it around on you and say, I want you to be in our shoes. You know, and you're going to walk a, walk a few miles in our shoes and be a design educator for uh, a project um, in, a, in one of our classes. So if you were asked to teach a design project, um, what would it be? What would you ask them to do? Yes, this question is the one I spent the most time thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sent this ahead of time to Sahara. Oh, yes, sorry, breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> transparency for our audience. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and um, so, like I said, I've taken the circularity class. So when it comes to design, maybe this is a little simple, but I like the, I like the lesson that I think would come out of this. So I could see myself assigning a design project. I would ask students to think of a product that you use on a fairly consistent basis, doesn't have to be every day, but regularly. And for some reason, that product is just not as convenient to use as it should be for as often as you use it. Redesign this product to make it in a way that's more convenient and more useful and don't consider anything else. Just consider making that product, that product uh -huh. more convenient to use. That's uh -huh. the first part of the assignment. The second part of the assignment would then say, okay, take this product that you have made more convenient and now kind of like what we were talking about before, shoehorn sustainability onto the end of it now. Mm. So what can you do to this product now to either uh, reduce the amount of raw materials that it needs or um, shorten the manufacturing process, um, uh, make it recyclable, biodegradable, whatever you can do to re reduce the impact that, this, um, that producing this product may have. Um, and see like what that process looks like, like how difficult versus how easy that is. And the outcome of, these of this assignment is to um, kind of get a lesson in the fact that shoehorning sustainability onto the end of a pro after it's already been designed or, or when it's already out there is probably the much less efficient way to do it. And if you consider these impacts from the time you put pen to paper, you're probably better off. You're gonna save a lot of time and a lot of energy. Um, and that would be my assignment. Again, just great assault because I haven't taken the design class, but. <laughs> well, I think that is to our benefit because that's amazingly simple but I never thought of that before. And I've been doing this for many years. I always, you know, it's like, let's make a sustainable package, right? Or let's do this. Let's, so I think maybe like you could even say like the third step to that is like, now let's go back to the beginning yes. and do it from the very beginning and yes. include, you know, include the planet as a stakeholder in this project. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So this wow, is a three-part that's, assignment. That's beautiful. It's one of those like, surprise right this is why we're in this problem because we're mm -hmm. trying to get an extra thing when it's when it should be you know the first thing we think about yes absolutely wow. absolutely okay. and, and that goes back to um the point we we're making earlier about design educators and designers you guys are so 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 important in this process um however i'm <laughs> listen i'm a big believer in displacing the blame wherever the blame needs to be so, or, or the responsibility not blame the responsibility right. that way. opportunity for improvement opportunity for improvement exactly right. um and so there's opportunities for design uh, designers and design educa uh, educators but there's also opportunities for um for companies to fund their r d so that designers can actually 
uh, create and try and test these products. <clears throat> there is opportunity for local governments to step in and make sure that there's actually infrastructure for the disposal of products to be to have as minimal uh, of, a, of an impact as possible. And then there's also responsibility on us as consumers to make better choices where we can make better choices. Um, you know, if you just don't have the extra $10 to buy that recyclable water bottle, that's fine for now. But for those of you that do, do it. If you have mm -hmm. the audacity, if you have the space to do it, do it. My metal water bottle is my best friend. It comes with me literally everywhere. <laughs> and um, I haven't held a plastic bottle. I can't remember the last Great. <laughs> water bottle in my hand. Um, and, and also just kind of a final point um, I that I had as a, a tip to more individuals who want to kind of make their life more sustainable. Yeah. Um, the most sustainable item is the one that you already own always the mm. one that you already have. Wow. So um, I'm a big believer in, um, in when consuming, when purchasing things to buy things that are good enough quality that you're going to get as much long use out of it as you possibly can. Um, and also just reusing that thing over and over again until the wheels fall off. Um, right. I, I uh, bought uh, two years ago. Yeah, two years ago, I bought a 2009 Toyota Camry. So I bought a very used car. And um, <laughs> I purposely got a Toyota Camry because I knew the, um, the connotation that Toyotas and Nissans have when it comes to like longevity. So I was like, I'm going to get this little $6,000 car and it gets me from A to B safely. The AC works. And again, I'm going to run until the wheels fall off. And after that, I'm just going to replace the wheels. <laughs> Drive it into the ground, basically. Drive it into the ground. Right. <laughs> and, and I take that same approach, that same approach to, to food. I'm very big on what's already in the fridge. I'm big on that with my clothing. If there's an event I have to go to, I'm like, mm, do I already have an outfit that I can wear to this event? Um, because it's, it's really, us as consumers, it's really our consumption that has a lot to do with our collective impact. So if we can do our best to reduce our consumption, um, that is, that's kind of like um, a top of the food chain in, in terms of, in terms of how we can make our lives more sustainable. Um, having more, having, being more um, decisive about how you throw things away is almost, that's kind of like the last step. You want to start with how much do you consume? How can you reduce that? And how can you reuse as much of what you already have? Yeah, I think it's a reason why, like, reduce, reuse, recycle, uh, reduce. Or... That reduce, reduce, we forget about the reduce part, but we say it first, but it's said first for a very specific reason. <laughs> That's a great way to end it, but I want to give you one more parting uh, shot opportunity, because I can't let you go without asking you this as you're our first um, soon-to-be MBA and sustainability grad. Yes. Um, uh, and, and the point about, like, money, um, earlier on in the show about mm -hmm. that can be a big factor. So uh, I'm not arguing that all designers should go out and get an MBA, um, but what, what, do, what can uh, designers, design educators take from the work that you're learning in your MBA in sustainability into their own work to help uh, them in terms of maybe even convincing people they work with, like, let's jump on board this more. You know, we're not doing enough of this. You know, they, the designer may know a lot of information, but they just can't convince that C-suite person, like you mentioned, to, to, to put forward the budget for it. Yeah, that's, it's funny, because that's a, um, a question that almost is kind of central to my MBA curriculum that I've had so far. Like, how do you convince the C, you can have this great idea about how to get sustainability into the company, but how are you going to convince the C-suite? 
Um, and I will say that's where uh, my accounting and finance classes come in. Um, um, it has to affect the bottom, the what their idea of what the bottom line is. We as sustainability people, we, we think of a triple bottom line. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people in the C-suite, they're still just thinking about how much is this going to cost? Will this add to our debt? What is this going to add to our balance sheet? When are we going to get paid back for this? And so um, it is... I don't want to write that off, right? Because that is that is important. If that's something that they consider, then it does it does behoove designers and people who, um, whether they are more focused on um, finance or not, um, to maybe partner with someone who is who does more have more of that um, that capability of doing a financial analysis, a cost bet cost benefit analysis and see, okay, how can we make it so that you can bring this product forward and say, okay, it's gonna take this much of an investment, but you're getting your money back in three years. Um, so I, I'm a big believer in collaboration. If you are the design expert, partner with someone who's the financial expert and see where you can come up with a proposal that can really convince that COO, the CFO um, about this new product or this new idea that you have. Um, but I, I love leaning on other people for expert, <laughs> for expertise, but I definitely don't, um, it, like you said, it's very important because they can, you know, someone in the C-suite can shut down your whole idea just because yeah. it's too expensive or the payback is too long. So mm -hmm. that's something you want to go in with and have those numbers ahead of time before you even go into that, to that big office. So seek wise counsel from, from people who know about, about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are all smarter together. <laughs> well, thank you, Sahara. It's been a great uh, time talking with you, and I really appreciate all your climate and community action work there in, uh, is it Queens? Yeah. Uh, yes, it is uh, Staten Island that I work in, Electrify Staten right, Island. Um, and yes, we are working with Staten Island residents to reduce your greenhouse gas emissions. <laughs> well, thanks again, and uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today to Climify, but don't leave just yet. I've got more goodness for you coming up. Music. As the pandemic has really affected our friends in the performing arts, where they're unable to book shows, tour, or sometimes even get into a recording studio, I thought I'd highlight one at the end of each of our episodes. Since this is a podcast for designers, the musicians featured on each are also designers. Well, I'll turn it over to our artists to explain who they are and the reasons behind their music. Hello there. My name is Paul Nini, and I am a professor of design at The Ohio State University. As a side hustle, I've been making music and releasing records since the mid-80s with a variety of so-called indie rock groups, both here in Columbus, Ohio, and in Chicago, USA. I've also released a fair amount of solo recordings. The song you've heard in this podcast is called Relax Part One, and it comes from a release titled The Manor Stage from way back in 2003. This song seems to be an early example of a musical style that my son refers to as lo-fi, chill, instrumental hip-hop. I'm kind of clueless as to such things, but he's not, so I'll take his word on that. To listen to more songs, please see my Bandcamp site, San Paolo. That's one word spelled S-A-N-P-A-U-L-O dot Bandcamp. Again, just one word, dot com. Once more, San Paolo dot Bandcamp dot com. 
Thanks so much for listening and keep fighting the good fight, my fellow climate designers.
Thanks for listening to Climify. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To catch all the latest on Climify, you can follow us on Instagram at Climify Podcast. Climify is part of Climate Designers. Learn more at climatedesigners.org slash edu.